Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for, actually I have no clue, what is it, September now? Oh uh, yeah, September 18th, I totally blanked out and forgot what month it was, I just looked at my calendar and it just said 17, and I forgot what it was. So it's September 18th, 2017, so we have short slate, uh, just seven games, Kershaw's pitching again, and some encouraging news on Kershaw was that even though his results weren't great in his last start against the Giants, he still wasn't terrible, and his velocity was back up. It was down a little bit in his first couple of starts back from the DL, but totally back to normal, about 93.5 miles per hour on the fastball. So I think it's safe to say that Kershaw is all the way back, and I don't think he'll have any kind of pitch restriction in this game. I think that the Dodgers are trying to work him back to full strength as they get ready for the playoffs. So... I think, once again, pretty easily Kershaw, top pitcher on the slate. Do you agree with that, Matt? Yeah, I think this is a pretty standard Kershaw price for uh, what's a pretty easy matchup, even though the Phillies have been good lately. Uh, Well, maybe not good, but a lot better than they were at the beginning of the season. They're probably still a below-average offense overall. Um, But the last week or so, I think they've had some of their biggest games of the season with Reese Hoskins hitting a home run, what seems like every game. I think people might be scared off Kershaw a little bit. I don't actually think he'll be the highest owned pitcher on the slate. So we do have to factor in ownership here with only uh, seven games. But I don't think we have to worry about too many people using Kershaw because of the recent struggles and because of uh, how good the Phillies have been. And the Phillies have also been one of the highest owned offenses every day for the past week or so. And that probably won't be the case tomorrow. But I think they'll get enough ownership to cut into Kershaw's ownership. So I'm not worried about it from that end. Uh, like you said, the velocity is back up. He was throwing about 91.5 for the first two starts off the DL. Now he's in the 93, 93.5 range. And uh, 13700 just is still too cheap for the best pitcher in the league. So uh, I have no problem using him, I think. Um, it's, not, it's not the best spot for him because there definitely are some concerns with his pitch count. I think the Dodgers want to stretch him out so he's ready to go deep in playoff games. But... They're not going to leave him out if he's not doing well and he's at 100, 110 pitches like they would uh, maybe when they're fighting for postseason spot or just in the postseason. This is sort of a meaningless game where it wouldn't surprise me if Kershaw is like six innings, three runs at 92 pitches. He comes out of the game, something like that. So his floor and his ceiling are probably a little lower than normal, but uh, he's still the best pitcher on the slate. It's still too cheap for him. And I think we don't have a lot of great options here. So I think all in Kershaw is the move. Yeah, one of the other things also about uh, Kershaw that you said before about him not working deep into games is I definitely think it's true that we've seen at this point of the year that teams aren't letting a lot of their pitchers go like the 110 pitches we normally see. Like Chris Sale the other night against the Rays came out at 90-something pitches. Sale never comes out at that many pitches. They always leave him in for over 100 pitches. And a lot of times in competitive games, we've seen the Red Sox leave him to 110 to 115 pitches. And they took him out a little early. But with that said, this being a seven-game slate where there aren't really a ton of terrific pitching options, and I think a lot of the guys who are at least decent pitchers are a little bit overpriced, I'm not too concerned about Kershaw only being able to get only being able to throw like 100 pitches and that we won't see like the 110-plus uh, pitch outing for him just because I don't really think it's going to be there for anybody else either. So, with that said, you said that you don't think that Kershaw is going to be the highest owned pitcher on the slate. You think it'll be somebody else. I do agree with you. And who is that guy? Uh, I think that guy's going to be Patrick Corbin. And I think I'm 
interested in rostering him, but given that he'll probably have really high ownership, I think I may not end up rostering him. Uh, whatever the methods are that we use to figure out what players are going to be owned, what amounts in the day leading up to the games, I guess we'll have to just be on top of that because it's it's various things. It's the betting line movement. It's what people are saying on various other fantasy websites. Uh, so I don't really have a great feel for how high Corbin is going to be owned yet. I think we'll have a better understanding of it as we get closer to game time. But I think it's a, it's a fair price for Corbin. I don't think it's too high. I don't think it's too low. I think for a fairly easy matchup on the road in San Diego for a pretty decent pitcher, 9,600 just makes sense. Um, so I could see myself using him uh, if the Padres maybe have a weak lineup or something. Uh, Jose Perello has been out the last few games. Maybe if Will Myers rests or someone else significant rests, although they don't really have anyone else significant. Uh, maybe Yangervis Solarte. Uh, but if it looks like a weak Padres lineup, maybe some Corbin ex- exposure. But I think that I, there are probably just better choices. I think there are two guys beyond Kershaw that I like more than Corbin. So for the most part, I think I'll be staying away from him. Yeah, I, I agree that I think that it's still not a terrible spot for Corbin. I just think that he's probably going to be, I don't know, 35 to 40% owned or something like that. And I'll probably have less of him than that. But I'll probably still have Corbin in some lineups just because there are going to be spots where he makes sense to roster, and I don't think he's a terrible play. I'll just probably have less of him than the field has. So guy who's priced right around Patrick Corbin, but I do think is the better play, is Dylan Bundy. So Bundy at 9,100 against the Red Sox. We've talked about this Red Sox offense before. They're just not nearly as good as people think they are. The Red Sox have a really good one-loss record, which I think is the reason that people think they're really good, or maybe it's just because they have Boston on their jerseys. I don't know what it is, except they really haven't been better than just an average to below average offense this year, but everybody thinks of them as being one of the better offenses in baseball. They always go highly owned when they're facing a crappy pitcher. Decent pitchers don't have high ownership against them, and Bunny's just pitched really well over the last couple months. His strikeouts are way up. I think he's striking out over a hitter per inning. I think maybe close to 10 or 11 guys per nine. I don't know what it is that's caused the change that all of a sudden he's getting a lot more strikeouts, but he's definitely a strikeout pitcher now. He was one of the better prospects in baseball just a couple of years ago. He was dealing with an injury and, well, a couple injuries. I think he had Tommy John surgery, then he had a shoulder injury, and it kind of took him a long time to really get back. So I think just given his acumen as a prospect and now that we've seen him get more big league experience, it could just kind of be that he's breaking out now and is figuring out how to pitch in baseball. Yeah, so the, the stats that you mentioned, uh, Bundy's strikeouts in recent games, he's averaging 10.4 Ks per nines in the, in the second half of the season since the All-Star break. Um, I'm pulling up his pitch mix now because I'm not sure if anything's changed here. I don't think anything has. I think he's just sort of figured out how to sequence better. Um, he's locating better. I'm sure that's a big part of it. And uh, hitters are just having a harder time with him. But the, the bigger deal here is that Boston is just really overrated as an offense. I think maybe people still think David Ortiz is on the team. Maybe that's the reason that they're so overvalued. Uh, but this is a below-average-to-average offense. Uh, Mookie Betts had a fairly lucky season last year with home runs, uh, a lot of home runs that were basically wall scrapers. And the lower power this year is not a fluke. I think last year was the fluke. And Mookie Betts is a really good hitter, but he's not in the elite class of hitters in the league. He's just... A pretty good one, and that means the Red Sox don't really have any elite hitters. They have a bunch of guys that are just above average. They have a bunch of guys that are average. They have a few guys that are below average, and it equates to just an okay offense. Uh, so it's not a hard matchup for Bundy. He gets home field advantage. 
Uh, Camden Yards is a bit of a hitter's park, but I think it's fine for him. I think the strikeout upside is there, and uh, it's just it's not that expensive for him. And I also think he'll be really low-owned, considering uh, the Red Sox usually have high ownership, and then, like you said, pitchers just uh, pitchers don't have high ownership going against them because people just are scared off picking guys going against Boston because they think of them as a better offense than they are. Uh, so I like Bundy a lot. I think he might be my favorite guy to use with Kershaw, although there are a couple other decent choices, maybe Corbin, and I think there's one, maybe two other guys that we could consider. Uh, well, there's only one other guy that I'm considering, but just one thing because I looked it up. The Red Sox, 92 WRC plus against right-handed pitching this year, so 8% below league average. They're in the bottom, bottom third of the league, so once again, just no issue with that matchup for Bundy. So the other pitcher who uh, I know that you're interested in, I'm not sure the other one is, is uh, Jameson Tyone is at 70, it's 7,100. Is that right? Yep, that's his price. So Tyone was not scheduled to start originally. It was going to be Stephen Brault pitching, except Tyone is making the start uh, tomorrow night instead. And Tyone's been very up and down recently, but he has had a number of difficult matchups. He is still somebody who I like a lot as a pitcher. Uh, there's been a lot of spots where I've rostered him. And then one thing that's been good about his up and down game log has just been that it's, to me at least, been pretty easy to just buy on Tyone when he's priced really low in like the seven to 8,000 range and then just avoid him when he gets up to the 10,000 plus range, which we've seen on occasions. So this is one of those spots. Tyone... Really cheap price, really plus matchup against the Brewers who strike out a ton. There's definitely a little bit of risk in rostering him because just he's been inconsistent. But he is as much upside as really anybody on the slate outside of Kershaw. Yeah, so let me throw in the Bundy stat real quick on his pitch usage before commenting on Tyone uh, that I mentioned before. So Bundy is now throwing his slider 27% of the time since the beginning of August compared to only 18 or 19% of the time before that. Uh, So he's up his slider usage by 10%. Fastball usage is up and his sinker usage is down. So I'm not sure if that's a formula that works for everyone. It probably isn't, but for whatever reason, it's worked for him. So there actually is a pitch usage change here that goes along with the improved results. Uh, and that's always something that helps make uh, make a change in results seem pretty reliable. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's it on Bundy. But as far as Tyone, I agree with you. Uh, 7,100 is too cheap for him. I do think it's a really high-variance play. Um, I would definitely only use him for GPPs, although we don't play cash for MLB anyway, but uh, as a GPP play, I think there's a lot of upside here with the way Tyone's pitched this year. A lot of bad games, but a lot of really good games too. Uh, Plenty of strikeout upside, and he's facing the Brewers, who are the epitome of high-variance offense. They strike out a lot, but they also hit for a lot of power, so if Tyone gives up a bunch of runs to the Brewers, I wouldn't be surprised. If he gets a ton of strikeouts and holds them in check, I wouldn't be surprised. So I won't have a ton of exposure to him because I think he's a lot riskier than Bundy. But uh, there is a lot of upside there, so I think using a decent amount of him makes sense. And he's probably my second favorite cheap pitcher after after Dylan Bundy. But uh, the other guy that I'll mention, we didn't actually talk about him before the podcast, and we usually will at least mention the pitchers that we like before we start. Uh, Dan Straley is at home against the Mets, and he's only 7,500. Um, Straley just probably isn't as good as Bundy or Tyone, but the Mets' offense is really bad. Um, even after the trades and after the injuries to Cespedes and Conforto, they have other significant injuries that are impacting the team. Um, Wilmer Flores is the most notable one, but it's a really depleted roster. And uh, Straley probably doesn't have a ton of upside because 
he just generally doesn't pitch very deep in games. He's not that good, but I think he is a really high floor. Um, so I think he's got to be a pretty safe pitcher for his price, maybe the safest. I'm not sure at this point if I want to roster him yet. The Mets kind of vary up their lineup a lot, uh, at least over the last few weeks, with how many prospects they're playing. So we could potentially see a really weak Mets lineup. And I think Straley definitely is the easiest matchup of any pitcher on the slate. So even though he's worse than the other guys we've talked about, I think um, he's someone I'll consider at least, although I'm not sure if I'm going to use him yet. Yeah, I don't think I will just because of what you said with the limited upside. So I think Tyone has a better matchup and is cheaper and is the better pitcher. So one other thing I'll just throw in about Tyone is Tyone does have a 4.7 ERA this year. But he's a 3.48 FIP, a 3.9 X FIP. He's striking out about a hitter per inning, walks about three guys per nine. The real big issue with Tyone has been that he has a 363 Babbitt this year, which is definitely going to come down. Uh, he doesn't even have, like I know that we've talked about how the contact percentages aren't super reliable, but he just has league average 30% hard contact rate. So it's not anything egregious that would suggest that he should have that high of a BABIP. So there's definitely been a lot of bad luck involved with Tyon, and he's still somebody who I just like overall as a prospect. So I'm Tyon at 7,100, Bundy at 9,100, and then Kershaw. Those are my three favorite pitcher plays. And then maybe some Corbin in spots also. Yeah, I think if I had to rank the pitchers after Kershaw, and I do think it makes sense to go all in Kershaw for this slate, I think if I had to rank the other guys, I'm, I think it's really close between Bundy and Tyone, and then I have Straley and Corbin as sort of fringe plays where I may or may not use uh, either of those guys. So let's get into the offenses then. I know that there's one offense that we both like a lot, and I'll just preface it with this before we uh, start talking about this guy, is the last time that Doug Fister pitched, we ended up liking the A's in that game. And the reason was because Doug Fister is a sinker ball pitcher who generates ground balls. The A's are a fly ball hitting offense. And generally, pitchers who are ground ball pitchers against offenses that are fly ball offenses, that usually tends to mean success for the offense. And there's also added home run potential in that matchup. And so Doug Fister in Baltimore, Camden Yards of park that definitely induces a lot of home runs and then also just the Orioles another fly ball hitting team a lot of power offense there's so much home run upside for them in this matchup yeah I think um I don't know the full stats on the Orioles and fly balls but I would imagine that it's similar to uh the matchup that we had with Oakland where um at the very least they hit a decent amount of fly balls because the Orioles are boom bust offense they hit for power and they kind of do nothing else uh but they're also just a pretty good offense overall against righties Doug Fister I think I'm probably higher on him than you. Uh, his velocity is up a little bit this year, so I think he should be better than he's been the last couple of years. But even even with that bump over the last couple of seasons, he's still probably a below-average pitcher. He doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, his control is not great. He's a decent ground ball pitcher, but again, that actually may hurt him in this matchup. Uh, the hitter's park in Camden Yards uh, definitely helps the Orioles. And they're also just not that expensive. Um, I'm not sure why they're priced down so much, but... For a point of reference, the line for this game is Pickham, and um, the Red Sox are significantly more expensive than the Orioles. And actually, uh, this is some fairly big news that we definitely should have mentioned when we were talking about Bundy, although I, I forgot it until now. Um, Mookie Betts was hit by a pitch on the hand today, and I think he's day-to-day. -day, he's questionable for the game at this point. Uh, so if Mookie Betts is not playing, then I think it could make sense to really ramp up the exposure to Bundy. Um, but even though Betts is considered questionable, this line still 
is around Pickham slightly favoring Baltimore. Um, I think that this is a, this is a game where there's a massive advantage for the Orioles on both sides if Betts isn't playing, and they have just as good of a chance, probably still more than the Red Sox, even if um, Mookie's in the lineup. But uh, yeah, I just don't think Fister's very good, and the Orioles are a good GPP offense that doesn't cost that much. So it's a really good spot for them, and I would say they're definitely the offense that I'm going to use the most. Uh, we also have the added bonus that it correlates well with Bundy's with stacks with Bundy and the Orioles. Um, the win bonus for Bundy correlates with the Orioles doing well. So that's always nice to have. And either way, I like them a lot, but definitely nice to have that little extra bonus there. Yeah, and then the other thing also is just with the Orioles' price tags, just because of how expensive Kershaw is, there's only so many offenses that you could fit in with Kershaw Tyone, and then especially very difficult with Kershaw Bundy. And because the Orioles have so many guys priced in the 3000 range, they're a doable stack with upside, and that's hard to find when you're using Kershaw. So which other offenses do you like, uh, assuming that you're using Kershaw in all your lineups, which I'm going to be doing also? Uh, so there's only one other game that I'm looking at, uh, and both sides of the game I think makes sense to use. One team's maybe a little too pricey, but this is the A's-Tigers game. Uh, Oakland has a couple guys that are fairly expensive. Matt Olson's at 4700 Matt Joyce at 4400 but the Tigers are really cheap. Mikey Matok hasn't actually played in a week or so. I think he maybe just returned today. He's the Tigers' most expensive hitter at 4000 and then everyone else is cheaper. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, I think, is questionable, just like Mookie Betts is. But if he's playing, uh, 3000 for Miggy is just way too cheap. And Jarrell Cotton is really bad. He's been bad all year. Um, he's there, He has nothing good going for him except that he sort of pitched decent in Boston in his last start. And maybe that's why the Tigers' prices are a bit down. Um, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about their ownership because they just beat the White Sox 12-0 on Sunday. But I still think that most people view the Tigers as a really bad offense. So I, I don't have a problem using them. I like the Orioles more, but the Tigers are probably my second favorite offense. And then the A's would be third if you can fit them because Buck Farmer's bad too. And the other issue with the Tigers is that their bullpen is really, really awful. Um, I'm, I'm going to need to look at the usage tomorrow or the projected bullpen usage because Daniel Norris is now up. And Blaine Hardy was injured for a while, and he's up in the majors too. So both of those lefties are pretty significant bullpen upgrades for the Tigers. And if either of them is scheduled to pitch, um, and I do think with a guy like Norris, who's a starting pitching prospect working his way back, he will be on sort of a schedule where they pitch him every set number of days. They are not going to use him for a specific set of circumstances. They're going to essentially decide before each game if he's going to pitch or not. Uh, so Norris as a lefty and Hardy as a lefty, I think what you might end up with is the A's having to pinch hit for some of their guys, which is always an issue for stacks if um, some lefties come out early. But uh, the A's are in consideration, although they definitely trail the top two offenses that I like, which are the Orioles and then the Tigers. Yeah, I think the other thing that people don't realize about the A's, the A's have a 106 WRC plus against right-handed pitching for the entire season. That's the third best in baseball behind the Astros and the Yankees. So the A's really don't have a bad offense. Uh, they do against left-handed pitching, but not against right-handed pitching. And then in addition to that also, they hit a lot of home runs. So they're a pretty DFS-friendly offense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the A's, well, we kind of viewed the A's and the Brewers in the same light early in the season where they both kind of okay offenses. One, of, They both strike out a lot and they both hit for power. But the A's actually have good overall numbers. Um the only reason we use pitchers against them is because they strike out, but they're definitely not a bad offense, uh, at least not against righties. There's a ton of left-handed power there. I think most people don't realize how good of a power hitter Matt Olson is. 
He's priced all the way up to 4700 now on DraftKings. I think it's justified. He's been really good over the second half of the season. Matt Joyce has been good. Jed Lowry has been good. Um, other prospects people don't know. Matt Chapman. This guy we both use a lot. Uh, I think this is definitely a Bruce Maxwell day at 2700 But uh, overall, I do think this is an offense that I think has a really high expected output, probably the highest expected output on the slate. They're just a little expensive, so they might more they may they might make more sense for plugs, and uh, it might be hard to stack them. But I think if there's a team to fit into Orioles and Tiger stacks, this is where to go. Yeah, the other thing also, I mean, just nobody's been able to get Matt Olson out over the last month or so. I figured out how to do it, but none of the <laughs> pro pitchers have figured it out because well, I was doing some scouting theory. on him. But I, it, nobody's figured this out. This will be the last thing I say before we finish. But Matt Olson stands with. His hands and his elbow are basically over the plate, and if people just threw fastballs at his elbow, he would never be able to hit them, and it's over the strike zone anyway. And I was even looking up some of his heat map charts, and he has zero hits on fastballs up and in. He doesn't have any hits on any pitches up and in the strike zone. But for whatever reason, pitchers keep throwing him breaking balls down in the zone, and he just destroys them. So until people start throwing fastballs at his elbow that he'll never be able to hit with his batting stance, uh, he's going to be a really good play. Well, I wouldn't, so, I wouldn't imagine that uh, Buck Farmer and the Tigers are the team that figures out how to pitch to Matt Olson. They're not exactly the smartest team with their ridiculously underpriced assets going away in trades for nothing and just being really bad overall. I'm not worried about Matt Olson uh, having his, his zone figured out in this game, but... Uh, yeah, maybe that is a concern for the future, or at least if Greg's on the mound, then Matt Olson might be in trouble. Yeah, I'm going to come out there throwing 63-mile-per-hour fastballs at his elbow, and he'd probably be able to hit those, actually. I don't think that would be I don't think that would be a problem. Even if I knew the right pitch mix, I don't think I could execute. So I think he would, he'd probably hit me just fine. So that'll finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We'll be back tomorrow.